You're listening to the N2K Space Network. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Oh, poor Voyager 1. It has a golden record, and it is very much in its golden years. And it's experiencing what's often thought of as a golden year problem. Lost, lost, lost. Lost what? I've lost my marbles. Maybe it's just a glitch, or maybe it's something more. Either way, NASA's doing its best, and we're here for you, Voyager 1 even if we don't quite understand what you're trying to tell us. T-minus. 20 seconds to LOS. Today is December 14th, 2023. Thanks to the miracle of science that is Paxlovid, I'm Maria Varmazes, and this is T-minus. Voyager sends scrambled messages from deep space. U.S. subcommittee hears from federal witnesses about mission authorization. Deorbit signs two launch service contracts with South Korean space startup Telepix. And our guest today is African space policy analyst Ruvimbo Samanga. Stay with us for that chat. Let's take a look at our Intel briefing for today. You know, we like to talk about the latest in the space industry on the show, but forgive us for starting off with some decently old tech in space terms today, as NASA's JPL posted an update that Voyager 1 is having trouble with its flight data system, which is one of its three onboard computers. Voyager 1 is receiving and executing commands from Earth correctly, but it's not giving any useful information back. Just garbage ones and zeros repeating, kind of like if the needle was stuck in the groove of its own golden record, metaphorically speaking, of course, there. And a quick refresher, Voyager 1 is a mere 15 billion miles from Earth right now, so it will take 22.5 hours for any pokes and prods from us to reach it. And as we've also covered a few times on the show, the programming languages for Voyagers 1 and 2 are pretty old, and not a lot of people still comfortably program in those languages. 
And you don't want to send unstable code 15 billion miles out either. So any fix for Voyager 1 will take some time. It wasn't that long ago that we were rooting for Voyager 2, which was on a communications pause due to its antenna pointing a bit too far away from us. Thankfully, it's all better now. So now it's Voyager 1's turn. Let's hope for a similarly fast recovery for our good old friends in the outer solar system. We closed out yesterday's briefing acknowledging that the U.S. Subcommittee on Space and Science were holding a hearing titled Government Promotion of Safety and Innovation in the New Space Economy. Witnesses for the meeting included NASA Deputy Administrator Pam Melroy, the FAA's Administrator for Commercial Space Transportation Kevin Coleman, and the Director for the Office of Space Commerce Richard Dalbello. The meeting was broadly discussing mission authorization for all new commercial space activities and was a chance for the subcommittee to hear from the government witnesses. The Space Council has suggested that mission authorization stay as is, but that new space activities such as in-space servicing should be split between the Department of Transportation and the Department of Commerce. The FAA's Kevin Coleman pointed out that only a single agency will have oversight of a single activity and said, quote, there is no situation in which both the Department of Commerce and the Department of Transportation will have joint oversight responsibilities for a single activity, end quote. No decisions were made during the hearing, but there were some interesting questioning rounds which extended beyond the mission authorization decisions. For example, Pam Melroy was asked about NASA's position on whether the learning period under which the FAA cannot create new commercial human spaceflight regulations should be extended. And we should note this learning period is due to expire on January 1st. Melroy replied that NASA would prefer not to extend it because they worry commercial passengers may believe NASA certifies the vehicle as safe, but NASA certifies them only for NASA operations, not for use by private astronauts. She said, quote, we do have concerns about that misunderstanding. We do not expect votes on mission authorization until January at the earliest. A NASA technology experiment on the International Space Station completed its first laser link with an in-orbit laser relay system earlier this month. Together, they complete NASA's first two-way end-to-end laser relay system. The Laser Communications Relay Demonstration, known as LCRD, and the new space station demonstration, called Illumit, successfully exchanged data for the first time. Illumit stands for Integrated LCRD Low Earth Orbit User Modem and Amplifier Terminal. Together, they are demonstrating how a user mission, in this case the space station, can benefit from a laser communications relay located in geosynchronous orbit. And speaking of lasers... Amazon has said that it plans to incorporate laser communication technology into its Project Kuiper satellites. The company says that they have already tested the lasers during their first mission. The Kuiper satellite's optical intersatellite links, known as OISLs, or maybe weasels, serve as a way to transmit data through space. We should note, this isn't anything that differentiates the satellites from its competitors, as Starlink has similar technology on later generations of their satellites. Now, Amazon says that the Kuiper prototype satellites maintain links that transfer data at 100 gigabits per second over a distance of over 620 miles between the spacecraft. 
And we can expect more launches of Amazon's Kuiper satellites in 2024. Air New Zealand has signed an in-flight connectivity partnership with Starlink. The partnership will allow New Zealand to introduce free internet on board its domestic aircraft. The first installation is expected late next year, with expansion plans expected in 2025. Space logistics company D-Orbit has signed two launch service contracts with South Korean space startup Telepix. Telepix will leverage D-Orbit's expertise to launch and test its onboard processor, Tetraplex, in orbit during a mission planned for June 2024. Tetraplex is designed for enhanced onboard processing capabilities and will undergo in-orbit demonstration, validating its performance and reliability in the space environment. Earth observation company Tomorrow.io is working with TomorrowNow.org to expand climate early warning systems across Africa. The company says this effort is part of U.S. President Biden's investment of over $50 million to improve the development, delivery, and use of climate information in vulnerable developing countries. The partnership aims to enhance the capability of African nations to monitor, forecast, and proactively adapt to the impact of day-to-day weather, in addition to extreme events, including rainfall, drought, and heat, particularly on a sub-seasonal timescale. Ray Goffer, co-founder at Tomorrow.io, said in the press release, Our mission in Africa goes beyond mere weather forecasting. It's about creating a sustainable and resilient environment where communities can leverage weather intelligence to adapt and thrive despite the challenges posed by climate change. And we will be chatting more about how Earth observation can help boost the African economy in our conversation with Ruvimbo Samanga in the second part of this show. So stay with us for that. And that concludes today's briefing. You'll find links to more about all the stories we've mentioned in our show notes. Today, we've included a retrospective piece on China's space program, an Ars Technica report on Blue Origin's new Glenn, and the UK government's report on lessons learned from their first launch attempt from Spaceport Cornwall in January. Hey, T-Minus crew, if your business is looking to grow your voice in the industry, expand the reach of your thought leadership, or recruit talent, T-Minus can help. We'd like to hear from you. Just send us an email at space at n2k.com or submit a note through our website, so we can connect about building a program to meet your goals. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Our guest today is African space policy analyst Ruvimbo Samanga, And I started off by asking Ruvimbo to walk me through a project that she's been working on that came in third place in the Africa Earth Observation Challenge. 
Certainly, I'd be happy to. Um, it's by no means a new idea. I think it's been replicated in various forms all across the world. But the idea is to take satellite imagery and give farmers as much information on what they need to plant, how they need to plant, where, and especially when they need to plant so that they can optimize their yields. And we're looking to big data to support decision-making because we realize that, first of all, farmers are losing a lot of their resources to adverse climate effects or weather events. And as a result, big data solutions can help them be a little bit more efficient in how they allocate their inputs and, of course, how they expect their outputs. The startup in question is called AgriSpace, and it was intended to be a policy innovation. What I mean by policy innovation is that we're looking to create a startup that can align with an overall national government program. In this case, at the time, Zimbabwe was very keen on rebooting the agricultural sector as the former breadbasket of Southern Africa. So to this end, positioning ourselves as sort of a private sector partner in that regard was very important. And the idea, again, is to allow farmers to tap into a user platform that is user-friendly and gives them bespoke, tailored resources on how to manage their crops. And what satellites are able to do over time is they're able to monitor crops remotely at a large scale. And also with the embedding of emerging technologies, you also get the predictive analysis over time. And as this model trains, you can have more accurate results. And of course, when you proof it with actual scenarios on the ground, then you get a really highly trained model that can help uh, large-scale to small-scale farmers alike at grand scale. So that was the whole vision. And of course, we're still very much uh, looking towards developing that project. We're very fortunate to be the third place winners in the Africa Earth Observation Challenge, which is um, the regional challenge. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a very wonderful opportunity to grow and to also test our idea. And we're very privileged to uh, receive access to Amazon Web Service credits as part of our prize offering and, of course, some satellite imagery. So we look forward to what they call in startup speak, proofing the concept. So demonstrating that we can actually build a product that shows information that farmers can act on. That's fascinating. Well, again, congratulations. And that is, it is such an important and fascinating project that you're working on. It's an amazing product. And also that real world impact to me is Often when I talk to people about things like data or, or the problems that it's trying to solve, it can stay very abstract. But this is the most important thing there is in terms of feeding people uh, and having that impact on, on people's lives and not just the people who are fed, but also the people who are doing the cultivating, the farmers. What a, what a huge improvement for their lives this, this can be. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And you had also mentioned um, something about policy, and I'm wondering how governmental policy could potentially be a force multiplier for good in this case. Um, and I know across the African continent, there are a number of space agencies either already in existence or sort of starting up. And I'm wondering uh, thoughts on maybe what the interest has been or how those different agencies with their di many different, uh, I'm sure, different uh, things that they're trying to achieve, but what, what they could do to help projects like yours kind of get off the ground. I really love this question as a policy analyst at heart. I will start by saying that I think there are about only nine or so countries in Africa that have national space policies, which um, in the grand scheme of the 20 or so space agencies that are currently operating, 
is a little bit unfortunate because we look to regulations as sort of the foundation of all space activity. And we glean this actually from the Outer Space Treaty, which is sort of the Magna Carta of Outer Space. And specifically in Article 6 of that treaty, it gives governments the obligation of creating national laws that promote an ecosystem for development. So the ecosystem certainly needs government to create regulations that enable the doing of business. So when we speak regulatory capacity building for big data applications, it's actually quite multidisciplinary. And I always want to encourage legal practitioners and policy practitioners as well to think from a multidisciplinary point of view of what could be the possible needs for doing business in a big data scenario. We have everything, of course, from the traditional trade and investment or commercial law implications. What can you have in terms of certainty of ensuring your patent or your product cannot be replicated by someone else somewhere. So you need your intellectual property laws to be quite robust. For the end users, how can you ensure that these different stakeholders can protect and use your data in a responsible way? So the data and privacy and security are very big uh, contentious issues, especially in Africa where the storage of data and the dissemination of data is quite tricky where in local institutions are not in control of these um, intermediary platforms for data. For instance, um, the cloud platforms where this data is stored. We would also have here the treaties or the laws surrounding international cooperation. A very big topic right now in Africa is capabilities building, which is the ability to not only have the potential to do something, but have the resources to do so independently of the provider. So to that extent, are you able to actually demonstrate the capacity without a third hand supporting that process? And that's where Africa is trying to sort of move towards now, which is not just demonstrating an interest in space, but can we independently operate in space as well? And for this, we need mutually reciprocal agreements, especially in the capability building and infrastructure development front. And we find that in the past, this has not necessarily been um, a very smooth track record for Africa, and that has been a pain point. But I do see a lot more understanding from the global community on the need to create that homegrown African solution. I think it makes a lot of sense, honestly. Um, and this is a sort of a, a very random question, but I was interviewing someone uh, last week about the African continental free trade area. I don't know if that's even relevant, but would that even be something helpful in that, in growing the homegrown space capabilities? Is that? Indeed, I believe it would be absolutely relevant. Um, the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement is the largest trade agreement since the WTO came into existence. And if it's fully implemented, it has the capabilities to lead at least 30 million Africans out of poverty and to create a GDP of at least 1 trillion United States dollars. And as well, um, what essentially it wants to do is to unify the continent through free movement of goods, services, people, and of course the necessary skills in different trade areas. And the space industry is a viable trade industry like any other, such as health, agriculture, etc. So what would the free movement of space personnel, free movement of space products and services look like? 
And this is where we see some very intricate scenarios coming up, especially on the geopolitical front. Um, we know that this will affect who Africa partners with, given the different trade restrictions we see in jurisdictions and also the trade opportunities. So if you see from current industry examples, there are some trends that we're starting to see, especially in terms of trade, whereby African countries are sort of favoring the trade opportunities that have not only dual capabilities of supporting multiple industry or industry goals, but also those that are economically beneficial. So for instance, China's Belt and Road Initiative has been quite prosperous on the continent or these bilateral investment treaties where we see space development being tied to another area of infrastructural development. Um, again, also research collaborations are quite popular on the continent. I see that the Artemis Accords and the International Lunar Research Station are having sort of balanced um, adoption. I think it's about three countries that have so far joined the ILRS. Uh, Egypt joined just recently and uh, apologies, I think it's two countries on ILRS and three countries with the Artemis Accords. So again, we are seeing that space, at least for Africa, is really a socioeconomic or sustainable development um, goal, or at least a tool to achieving those goals. So the FCAFTA will sort of come in as a way of, I think, firstly, unifying the region so that Africa can have more of um, a stronger voice in global discourse and a stronger voice when negotiating with international partners. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. We're coming close to the winter solstice, and up here in the northern hemisphere, the days are awfully short and the nights are oh so very long. Maybe because I'm still dealing with a bout of COVID right now, they feel a lot longer. But a long winter's night here on Earth is just peanuts to the average night on the moon, which is around 14 Earth days. Those 14 Earth days of near-continuous darkness, not a smidge of sunlight to be eked, are kind of a problem if you're generating power from sunlight for any future tech that might be installed on the moon. To say nothing of being able to see if you are a human roving around the lunar south pole. Well, what did we used to build along our treacherous seashores when we needed to help others see their way around? Yeah, a lighthouse, of course. And a research team at Honeybee Robotics has come up with a lunar lighthouse concept that's much more high-tech than what you might be imagining. So no whale oil lamps and Fresnel lenses here. Honeybee's proposed Lunar Saber Tower is a bit more of a telephone pole, I guess, albeit a very, 
very tall one, like 100 meters tall or 330 feet, or potentially even taller. And just for reference, the Statue of Liberty is 305 feet tall, so these would be some very big structures. Something that high placed on the right spot at the lunar south pole, like on the top of a mountain or a tall crater rim. And those panels could get continuous sun access, even during lunar night. And the idea is that gimbaled lights from these towers could direct illumination to the terrain below for explorers, and the towers could also receive communications, position navigating and timing information, power transfers, and even surveillance to help keep a growing lunar infrastructure running and communicating with each other. Well, it's a pretty interesting idea, though maybe not nearly as romantic as traditional lighthouses. Perhaps if this concept ever comes to light, haha, we can convince them to paint some nice stripes, you know, for old times' sake. That's it for T-Minus for December 14th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. From the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth, mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Jen Iben. Our VP is Brandon Karp. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Sixth Sense.